morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 say this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us believers in Christ in all of our troubles, so that we will be able to comfort others who are troubled with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And comfort comes from hearing the word of God. Welcome to the lesson. At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As the Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son, a member of the triune Godhead. As, uh, and he is also the Lord. Wait a minute. <laughs> and he's also 100% human, just like you and me. And his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and he lived among us. He is the uniquely born one, 100% God, 100% man, and one person forever. He is the sovereign God of the universe. He is the Jewish Messiah. He is the one sent by God the Father. And he was sent by God the Father not to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He died on the cross to make the only perfectly satisfactory payment for sin in the eyes of God the Father. Perfection is required to pay for sin. So if you ever are wasting your time feeling sorry for your sins and think that that is impressive to God, it isn't. You have to shed blood for sins. And that's what Jesus Christ did at the cross. And as a result of his victory, his strategic victory at the cross, we are fully and forever forgiven for all of our sins. As those who make Barah Ministries our spiritual home, we are Christians. And being Christian means that we believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with him. You heard it right. Christianity is a relationship and not a religion. And Jesus Christ is a person. He is not a thing. He is not a concept. Just as we do with anyone whom we love, We spend time getting to know the Lord. And since the Bible is his exact thinking, we come here to learn about him through the study of his mind, which is the word of God. God has an enemy, though, Satan, the ruler of this world. He is a liar who deceives the whole world, including you. He doesn't want you to get to know God, and he interferes with your chances to know God. He's the one who's always making sure everything gets blamed on God. He does the the nasty deeds, and he makes sure that everybody blames God. Why would a loving God cast one of his creatures into the lake of fire? I'm mad at God. God's not fair. Okay, whatever. The word of God is the truth that keeps us aware of Satan's insidious deceptions. And as believers in Christ, we are in union with Christ, and we have the victory over Satan through our Lord who has overcome the world. Today's Bible lesson, giving up your freedom for others is a godly sacrifice. Giving up your freedom for others is a godly sacrifice. All you parents know what I'm talking about, amen? Because you're making a godly sacrifice. Let's talk about that term godly before we get into the lesson a little bit. What does it mean to be godly? Well, typically when you hear that term godly, you think of some phony who is talking about how they want to live a godly life. If you're a believer in Christ, you're living a godly life because a godly life is what 
believers in Christ live. And they live it as a gift, not because of anything they're doing. So please don't think that there's anything you're doing that could ever resemble being godly. Now, the opposite of godly is ungodly. And so when somebody is called ungodly in the Bible, that's a reference to unbelievers. So the godly ones are believers in Christ, simply because of what Christ did for us at the cross. The ungodly ones are the ones who are unbelievers, who are rejecting a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So imagine what it was like for the Lord, God the Son. He's the sovereign God of the universe. And he left his cush job running the universe to be the savior of all mankind. And he did that voluntarily. Think about it. He's in heaven. There's nothing better than that. He's in the throne room of heaven because he's one of the bad mothers. And he's chilling. And he knew, looking forward down, down divine history, he knew that he would create creatures and they would sin and that they would have to go to the lake of fire because of the sin. So he voluntarily decided that he would be the person who paid the price for that. So he humiliated himself by taking on the form of a human being. For deity to get in a human body is absolute and utter humiliation. And then he voluntarily suppressed the use of his powers, the use of his deity in submission to the will of God the Father. And the will of God the Father was that he pay for the sins of the world. He suffered torture at the hands of ungodly men. Oh, ungodly. What's an ungodly man? An unbeliever, excellent. He was surrounded by the most beautiful women in the history of mankind. Women like Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene, who I cannot wait to see in heaven. She was gorgeous and she was obsessed with him. She was following him around all the time, yet he never sinned. And even though he is their Messiah, he was rejected by his own people, the Jews. He... he, fulfilled all 109 things that he promised to fulfill in Old Testament scripture so that they would know that he was the savior. Things like he will be born in Bethlehem. He will be born in Nazareth. He will be born of a virgin. All these things that he promised long before they happened, he actually delivered. There was a one in a trillion chance that any of those predictions would come true, yet they all came true. And the Jews missed it. Now, For the final three years of his life, he lived the existence of a hunted criminal for telling the truth. And the Pharisees were doing everything they could to find a way to trick him so that they could make him make a mistake so that they could have something to kill him for. He was betrayed by every one of his closest friends. All 12 disciples turned on him. And for three hours on the cross, he suffered by taking on the wrath of God the Father, a fate that was rightly yours, for sinning and for having Adam sin, all for the chance to provide you with the opportunity to be reconciled to the Father and to be saved. So the next time you're feeling sorry for yourself, maybe just four or five hours from now, the next time you're feeling sorry for yourself, then listen to the things I just told you again. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, we learn the payoff for the Lord's selfless, voluntary commitment. Here's what it says. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Always be checking your attitude because it is your attitude, not your aptitude, that determines your altitude. Amen? 
I'm going to say it again because I don't think you heard me. It is your attitude, not your aptitude, that determines your altitude. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the exact same essence of God the Father, deity, did not regard equality with God the Father as a thing to be seized and held on to. So even though he was equal to God the Father, just like women, wives are equal to husbands. You hear me? Just like wives are equal to husbands. The Lord voluntarily put himself in submission to the will of God the Father, which is what God asks of women. Voluntarily put yourself in submission to the will of your husband. You say that to a woman, boy, she starts freaking out in her head. Amen? June said, not me. I, I don't freak out. I'm, I'm looking for that. I'm looking for that. Keep on looking, sister. Amen? Keep on looking. <laughs> Philippians 2, 6, who, although he existed in the exact same essence as God the Father, deity, did not regard equality with God the Father as a thing to be seized and held on to. Philippians 2, 7, instead, he emptied himself, the doctrine of kenosis. He emptied himself of the rightful function of deity, taking the form of a bondservant, a 24-hour-a-day, seven-days-a-week slave in service to God the Father. You know how everybody's all up in arms right now about slavery? You know who the original slave was? The Lord Jesus Christ, who put himself in submission as a slave, the Greek word doulos, to his father, when he was equal to his father transitioning to the likeness of men. Philippians 2.8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humiliated himself by being in the form of man and by being in submission to God the Father because he was deity, becoming voluntarily obedient to the Father by choice, even to the point of death on a cross. Philippians 2.9, for this reason, God the Father highly exalted Jesus. He promoted him, promoted him to sit at the right hand of the Father and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, which is an expression in Greek that means that which, which gave him the highest form of dignity that there is. Philippians 2.10, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven, of those who are on the earth, and of those under the earth, those are the people who will be in Hades and then eventually in the lake of fire. Philippians 2.11, and every tongue will confess the sign that hangs right above my head. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is deity. Jesus Christ is God. All the unbelievers will have to bow down and say what they denied and say what they rejected. Jesus Christ is is God. And that sign up there is for them to practice. Now, you can practice it because all of us are saying it. You can say it in heaven or you can say it in the lake of fire, but you're going to say it on your knee. It ain't going to be no national anthem playing, amen? <laughs> but you're going to be on your knee because this will be the real worship. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yep, 
Got it. So as we continue our study of the 8th chapter of 1 Corinthians, the Lord asks mature Christians to provide the same courtesy to immature believers that he provided to his Father. And what is that? The foregoing of freedom for the sake of others. That's our lesson today. All right, let's hear some music. In John chapter 15, verse 5, the Lord says to his believers, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, am the vine. You believers in Christ are the branches. The believer who abides in union with me and I indwelling him, this believer bears much fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Danny Goki echoes this sentiment in song, singing to God that our lives are nothing if you ain't in it. I've got things that I thought would fill my heart up, sitting on top, winning, but that ain't winning. I've chased all the good stuff, all the bad stuff, stuff the world calls living, but that ain't living. Hey, don't really matter what I do. Hey, don't be nothing without you.
Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for all the things you provide that are invisible to us. Thank you for your plan for our lives and for your protection and for your presence. Thank you for keeping our minds right in the midst of... Thank you for helping us keep our minds right in the midst of tribulation. Thank you for bearing the burdens we slam on your back. Father, help your believers to be a blessing to the people in this world who have lost their compass. Help us to be an example of excellence to the next generation of children by leading them to get to know you and your word, the highest calling for a society. Help us to keep our heads when all around us, including our leaders, are losing theirs. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. I want something from you today. Today's Bible lesson, giving up your freedom for others is a godly sacrifice. Giving up your freedom for others is a godly sacrifice. I want something from you today. I want your attention. I want your focus. I don't care what's going on in your life. This two hours is not the world. This two hours is for you. This is relax recharge, rejuvenate. That's this two hours. When you go back out there, you can get back into the zoo. And that's why I don't like churches who do all that music and all the, the stage production and all that stuff, because that's the world. You don't come to a place like this to have another version of the world. You come here so that this place is different than that. Because you don't need to be entertained. You spend, of your 112 waking hours a week, you probably spend 40 of it getting entertained. This is not for your entertainment. This two hours is for your edification. I want your attention. And whatever is bothering you is baggage. And it should be checked at the door. Because we slam all our cares on God's back. Because he cares for us. And he hired me to build you up. And what you just heard is me building you up. It's saying you deserve two of the 112 waking hours to be for your edification. You deserve it. Why do you deserve it? Is it something you did? No. (laughs) It's because God says so. And he's got some things to say to you. The God, the Holy Spirit has got some things to say to the churches today. And that's why when you come in here, all the messages seem like they're custom made. All the messages seem like they're speaking right to you. That's because they are. That's how good our God is. That's how supernatural he is, that he can send one message and speak to everybody who's listening to it. So that's what I want from you today. I want your attention because as we begin today's lesson, a few words of encouragement which are desperately needed in distressing times. You need to be encouraged in stressful times. Listening to the Word of God gives you hope. Hearing the news stirs up despair in your soul. You should cut it off. You should stop listening to the news. It is bullshit. And that just came from a broadcast journalist. I was trained as a broadcast journalist, and I know when news is news and when news is phony, and that stuff on TV is phony. It's false. It couldn't in a million years be considered journalism. Amen? 
cut it off. Somebody was telling me something this week about something was going on in the news. Did you hear about it? I said, no, I really didn't. Why? Don't you listen to the news? I said, oh, yeah, I listen to the news. Let me see. The last time I listened to the news, I think, was 1963. I was in fourth grade, and Walter Cronkite came on the TV, and he said that President Kennedy had been shot and killed in Dallas. That was news. But that's the last time I remember hearing any news on television or radio. Since then, all it's been is sensationalism. What's that, 60 years ago that was? And now everything that's on there now is a joke. I can't even believe that the people who call themselves reporters, and, and there are a lot of news people, don't get me wrong, and a lot of them are dear friends of mine who I grew up with. But most of the people now, they're not journalists. I, I just love watching the press corps badger the, the president's uh, press secretary. And she just handles them. And they try to bully her, and they try to talk over her, and they try to run their agenda. She's a lawyer. She, you, you're going to out-argue a lawyer? You're not. And she just handles them, drops the mic, and walks off. I love just checking out a little clip of what she did that day, th- that day to put them in their place. Because they're weak. They're, they're idiots. They, they make up sources. They lie. Stop listening to it. Listen to this. This is your edification. God brought you here to give you hope. And you have got to be mindful of what you're putting in your ears because it goes right to the soul. And all I hear from believers in Christ is this sighing all the time lately. (sighs) What are you sighing about? You're the child of a king. What are you sighing about? You're a saint. What are you sighing about? You're a priest. You're an ambassador. You're reconciled. You're redeemed. You're justified. When you close your eyes in this life, you're going to be absent from the body and face to face with the Lord. What are you sighing about? You sighing because somebody decided that you need to stay in your house? Enjoy it. You sighing because somebody put a mask on your face? You can't enjoy that. So be mad about it. And then as soon as you can, take it off. And if anybody looks at you funny, look at them back. <laughs> And breathe on. (laughs) You're mad because your kids can't go to school and you got to raise those little monsters. Shouldn't have had them. You should have called me. I'd have told you, don't have them. Oh, but I'm being negative about family now. Listening to the word of God gives you hope. The opposite of hope is doubt. And if you have doubt in your soul, just know that it doesn't come from God. And there are a lot of Christians doubting. Like you're not eternally secure. John 10, 28, I give eternal life, the resurrection life to believers in Christ, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. I feed the sparrows. Aren't you worth much more than they, O men of little faith? They don't sow, nor do they spin, nor do they harvest, and I feed them. A sparrow didn't get up today worried about Jack. He just started hopping around on his little hoppers and looking around, and all of a sudden there's all this food on the ground. It's the same thing that happens in your life. You ate yesterday, you're going to eat today, and you're going to eat tomorrow, courtesy of the Lord and Savior of the universe. Amen? Amen? Stop worrying about anything. If you have doubt in your soul, just know it doesn't come from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33 says, 
God the Father is not a God of confusion. God the Father is not a God of disorder. He's organized. He is a God of peace. He doesn't have anything against you. The same peace God the Holy Spirit produces as fruit in all the saints and in all the churches. Amen? You feeling me? (laughs) We have a God of assurances. We have a God of guarantees. God makes promises to us that give us hope because he always comes through. And hope, in Greek, is the absolute confidence of a secure and prosperous future. And not in heaven. Now. Your bills are getting paid unless you have allowed yourself to accumulate so much debt that you're swimming. You don't have to be a consumer. In the United States, what do we call our extra income? Disposable income. What do they call it in Japan? Discretionary income. Discretion. I think before I spend it. We throw it away. Stop doing it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13 says this. You've you've seen this if you've ever been to a wedding. But our faith in God, hope for self, and unconditional love toward others. Abide in the sphere of these three. That's God's plan. He wants you to have faith in him. He wants you to have hope for yourself. Notice the order. Faith in him, which gives you hope for yourself. And then unconditional love toward others. Forgive others, for they don't know what they're doing. And what they're doing is a lot of people are running a game. And they think their game is not transparent to everybody. But it's the same old game over and over and over and over again, the manipulation game. And when they're arguing with somebody, you can always tell the manipulators when they're arguing with somebody, the first thing they do is get up and walk out when the three little parts of their game didn't work. And the person, they haven't dispatched the person that they're arguing with, so they get up and walk out and cry. Okay. All right, but when you come back, the same problems that you had when you left are going to be there. But we don't have that problem as believers in Christ. We don't have any problems. You know why? Because God's got our back and our front and our side, and our up and our down. We're completely surrounded in a sphere of grace, unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace. He's completely got everything covered. If you don't have that in your head, then you're missing this amazing relationship that you have that you don't feel that you could take advantage of. What is it that you want? Whatever the desire of your heart is, you could never in a million years, come up with a list of things you want that are bigger than what God wants for you. What do you want? Are you making the list? You ever get out a pen and write it down? Write it down and say, Dear God, I want this. List it, throw it in a drawer. Come back and check it in a year. It'll be done. If you haven't been in the way. (laughs) Because you're always trying to interfere with it. Keep him from giving you what he wants to give you. Amen? You feeling me? Yeah, you know what's been funny? So I started this whole thing about, I don't know, nine minutes ago. All of you have dropped your shoulders. Right? Yeah. Huh? 
Yeah, get the weight off. Leave the bags at the door, man. When y'all came in here, y'all like this. You know, carrying those bags. They're heavy. They're heavy. This is Southwest Airlines. Bags fly free. Leave them over there. Don't bring them up in here. There's no baggage in here. Amen? We're free. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I shouldn't do this, but I, I have to do it. The bad guy doesn't win. He doesn't win. We won already. The game's over. He's still looking at the scoreboard thinking he has a chance. He doesn't have a chance. He lost. This is the appeal trial. He's already been convicted, indicted, convicted, and sentenced to the lake of fire. Satan has already been sentenced to the lake of fire. He appealed the sentence. Now he's got to prove that God's unfair and unloving. Impossible. The victory's over. The cross was the victory. He led the Lord to the cross, killed him on the cross, did this, thought he was done. Three days later, the Lord said, I'm back. <laughs> da, 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 da. You ain't never had a friend like me resurrected from the dead i'm back yeah that's what i'm talking about are you happy get the weight off they're not gonna win oh the democrats democrats the democrats are beautiful and i'm not political so i'm just gonna tell you this but i grew up in the most democratic city in the united states of america chicago illinois there is nobody who even mentions the word republican in chicago without getting killed I grew up in the most democratic household in the world. My mom's. She loved Bill Clinton. I, I made the mistake of saying something against Bill Clinton one time. I almost got stabbed. I almost got shot. All right? So Democrat, through and through, bloodline. But here's the thing about Democrats and the thing that's funny to me. Women hate being lied to. Amen? All right, and men, okay, we can take it, I don't know. But just generally speaking, people don't like being lied to. The Democrats have been lying to black people for 65 years that I know about, promising us, you're going to get better schools. We're dumber than ever. You're gonna get, we're going to hand stuff out to you, and it's going to make your life different. Yeah, it is. We're going to always be looking for a handout. We're going to give you health care. Yeah, but somebody's going to pay for it, and it ain't going to be you. They keep making all these promises about what's going to happen, and it never happens. And we just keep believing them every single election. We keep believing them. There is nobody that gets a 65-year straight track record of zero results, and people believe them. But we believe them. That's how good Satan is. He is the deceiver of the entire world. Oh, back to normal. Yeah, right. We're going to get back to normal. The new normal. The new normal. The new normal is you're going to get screwed even more. That's the new normal. So we don't care. You know why we don't care? Listen to last week's lesson because we're sitting above the fray in the right hand of the sovereign God of the universe. We don't care what's going on out there because it's not, it, it, it's, we're Teflon. Nothing can stick to us. We're above the fray. Let the world go crazy. What do you expect from Satan's kingdom? What do you expect from a tyrant? Let them go crazy. But that's not us. 
That's not our fate. I don't care what they say on the TV. That's not your fate. Oh, there's a vaccine, and they're going to give you the vaccine, and if you don't take the vaccine, you can't fly, and it's going to modify your DNA. You think the Lord's going to let that happen to you? Do you really think that the Lord's going to let that happen to you? There is no way he's going to let that happen to you. And if he does let it happen to you, oh, shucks. I ended up going to heaven. Shucks. No more bills. No more sin. No more goofy people. Shucks. What are you worried about? I ain't worried about nothing. Faith, hope, and love. Abide in the sphere of these things, but the greatest of these is love. But hope ain't bad. Let's take a look at what the Bible says about hope. 1 Peter 1.13, it says, Therefore, believers in Christ, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit, which means exercise self-control. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fix. What's that? Focus. Focus on what's coming. Grace. All the way. Fixing our hope on Jesus is a command in the Greek. God doesn't want us sitting around feeling sorry for ourselves in the midst of tribulation as if we don't know whose kingdom we live in. We live in Satan's kingdom. What are we seeing? What we're seeing is what you'd expect from a disloyal tyrant who turned on his master. Chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul prays for us. He says this, I, Paul, pray that the eyes of your heart your spiritual eyes may keep on being enlightened with divine insight through the study of the word of God so that you will know what is the present hope of God the Father's calling you to salvation in the past and that you may know with absolute certainty what are the riches of the Father's glorious inheritance in the saints because as a saint you are his possession, his children, his heirs of promise with an absolutely certain future. I always operate in my life as if I can pay for it. I always operate in my life as if it's going to work out for me. Now, that is not some major brain-exploding thing. It's going to work out for me. That's all I've ever experienced. He has always worked it out. He promises it. And then he does it. And when you see that 15,000 times a year, you finally start, you know, I'm a little slow. But I finally start getting it that it's going to be okay. And if it isn't here right now that he's giving me a break. That there's a calm before the storm of all the provision that he's going to bring. You better get yourself ready. I remember this one Christian movie. This guy used to walk through the hallways. I think it was Facing the Giants. And this guy used to walk through the hallways with his Bible, and he's rubbing lockers, and he's praying for all the people who have the lockers and praying for all the players. And this football coach is trying to take his team to a championship. And so the, the football coach sees him walking through the hall, and, and he says, I mean, you're doing all this praying all the time. What are you doing? He said, your field's pretty dry right now. If my field was pretty dry, I'd start preparing for rain. 
That's what we expect. If your field's pretty dry, you better get ready for some rain. Because you think God's not going to provide you with the rain? He's going to rain on your field so stuff grows. You should get this, Topeka. Don't be looking at me with a puzzled look. Because you, you and Larry should be weeping about this because I'm talking about the cornfields and stuff. You've seen this growing up. Amen? Everything was dry and then the rains came. Yeah, you had an irrigation system. and Yeah, you could turn on your little button and water it. But it's not like when it comes from the sky. Amen? God's got you. And we're worried. What are we worried about? Don't worry about Jack. Our spiritual eyes are our personality. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says this, Let us hold fast unswervingly to the hope we believers in Christ profess, for the God who promised us hope is faithful. And what does that mean? He never lets us down. Amen? Under pressure, people abandon hope. You're under pressure right now, people. You're wondering, I wonder what the world's going to be like in six months. Worry about what the world's like today. What do you care what it's going to be like in six months? If you're a Christian, you know what it's going to be like in six months. Amazing for you. That's what it's going to be like. And what's it going to be like next week? Amazing for you. And what's it going to be like for you tomorrow? Tell them, Joan. Amazing. That's right. That's what I'm saying. Amazing for you. Because there's only one outcome with God. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 says this. I know from the source of divine omniscience because I know all the knowable. I, the Lord, know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Amen? God's plan for us always includes deliverance, a restoration to normality in which we will prosper. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31 says this, that yet those who wait for the deliverance of the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles flying way above the mundane things of this life. They will run and not get tired, endurance. They will walk and not become weary, strength. Deacon Denny's giving a little smile back there because he remembers about eight years ago when I read this verse and I said, they will mount up with ings like weagles. (laughs) My tongue got messed up, amen? But not this time. When God talks about amazingness he's talking about you philippians chapter 1 verse 6 this is the sovereign god of the universe talking about you i paul am confident of this very thing that god the father the planner of the universe who began a good work in you from the moment of your salvation will keep on perfecting it until the day of christ jesus and that's what's happening with you he keeps on perfecting you i was talking to a 23 year old And she was talking to me yesterday about all the things she's got to do. I got to do this and I got to do that and I got to do this and I got to do that and I got to stop sinning and I got to do that. I said, okay, that's called the do-do life. You don't have to do anything. It's done already, girlfriend. You're a believer in Christ. All that stuff that you want, tell him it's done. Put the bags down. Put the bags down. By the way, that was my former stepdaughter. The one I didn't have a relationship with, still talking to me. (sighs) 
you know, the 16-year-old to 21-year-old who had had her head abducted, her brain abducted by aliens. They brought it back. <laughs> they brought her brain back. So good. You know what I'm talking about. Well, you got 16 of them girls over there. You got so many women in your family, man. You got You experience this all the time. I know. It's crazy. He who began a good work in you will keep on perfecting it. Psalm 71:14. As for me, I will hope continually, and I will praise you, Lord, more and more. That's David. Why does God give us hardships? Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5 says this, Therefore, having been justified on the principle of faith in the past, we believers in Christ now and forevermore keep on having peace with God the Father through our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. God has nothing against you. Romans 5, 2, And through our union with Christ also, we believers in Christ have obtained our direct access to a person of privileged rank, God the Father, who placed us into this sphere of grace, a sphere of grace in which we presently stand, the geodesic dome of grace, unconditional love, and forgiveness. And through our union with Christ also, we keep on exulting, screaming, praising in the future hope of the glory of God, that hope that God is going to turn, that absolute confidence that God is going to glorify us in the future. He is. Romans 5, 3. And we not only exult in all these things from our past, like righteousness and justification, in our present peace and in our future glory, but we also exult in our tribulations that are given to us by God the Father, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Tribulation is the spiritual gymnasium, Romans 5, 4. And perseverance brings about proven character. And proven character brings about hope. And hope does not disappoint. Hope in God does not disappoint because the unconditional love of God the Father has been poured out within our hearts through God the Holy Spirit of promise who was given to us by God the Father as a pledge of our inheritance. Tribulation, God's spiritual gymnasium to tear you down and then to build you up. He always puts somebody to, in your house to tear you down. So he can build you up. Amen. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. A prophet has honor. <laughs> a prophet has honor, just not in his own hometown and not with his own family members. Right? There are always people in the house tearing you down. What is it? They start tearing you down. You just do like this. You know, just flex. Say, which way to the beach? That way? Thank you for building me up. Awesome. The shortest of all the Psalms says it best. Psalm 117, only two verses. Praise the Lord, all nations. Loud him. First Latin word I learned. Laudo. It means to praise. Praise the Lord, all nations. Praise him, all people. Psalm 117.2. For his loving kindness, that's the Old Testament term for grace. His grace is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord is everlasting. It has a beginning and no end. Praise to the Lord. Well, when we return from our five-minute break, we'll take your offering, and then we'll finish up with 1 Corinthians chapter 8. You'll get to see the whole chapter laid out, and then we'll be ready to move on to chapter 9 next week. Take a five-minute break.
Nobody, nobody, nobody. I'm trying to tell everybody. 
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, giving up your freedom for others is a godly sacrifice. Giving up your freedom for others is a godly sacrifice. Well, if we're being honest, giving makes us vulnerable, and being vulnerable often hurts. Here in Satan's kingdom, there's always someone to take advantage of our generosity and our vulnerability. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says this, I, Paul, know for a fact that the sufferings of this present time both right now and throughout the church age, which the Bible describes as this present evil age, are not worthy to be compared with the future glory that is to be revealed to us believers in Christ. We have a glorious future, both here on earth and in all eternity. Rest assured that your generosity with Barah Ministries is being used to tell people throughout the world, through the courtesy of the Internet, that Jesus Christ is God to teach the Word of God to believers in Christ verse by verse, sometimes face to face, and to spread the good news, the gospel message concerning how to get to heaven when you close your eyes in this life. Thank you for your giving, which supports the distribution of the truth. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with the offering message. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. And Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church. We are real people who come to listen to a real pastor, teach the real truth from the Word of God. And recently I've been asking myself, why do so many Christians fall away from their faith? Why do so many Christians just kind of fall asleep, it seems, in life? And I remember back to my own Christianity and remember in elementary school when I first really hit me that faith alone and Christ alone was it. It was so simple. It was almost like Christianity was new to me at that moment. It was fun and it was exciting. And then I thought in my head, it's almost like, you know, when a kid gets a new toy, they're infatuated with it. It entertains them. They love it. And they just stick with it, you know, or, you know, a new puppy. It's like, oh, a puppy. Oh, we love it. So exciting and so fun. But then when it grows up, you're not so excited about it anymore. It's big and it sleeps on the couch and it's got fur everywhere. I remember when I got my new truck, I'd I babied it. I was driving all careful and going slow, and now I'm speeding around, doing everything different. And so, you know, it's, it really happens with everybody, I think. It's kind of like that instinctive thing in us. And what does this world do? What are all those things? They're kind of just new, new lies. They're new idols, which is a new lie, which is just a new slavery for us. But we need to remember that in Christ, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17... Therefore, if if anyone is in union with Christ, and all believers in Christ are godly, there is a new creation. The old life of sin and slavery has died. Behold, the new life of devotion to Christ has come. So let's remember that we are in a new life, like Pastor said. This is a new life. we're, We're winners. We're victorious. We don't have to live with doubt. We don't have to worry about that we're in slavery. We're in freedom. This new life is freedom. But Satan would want you to think about the idols and lies and, and slavery. God wants you to think about winning, no doubt, and freedom. And what do we see that is? It's faith, hope, and love. Because we have faith that we have, we're victorious. We have hope because we don't have a da- any doubts. And we know that love is ultimate freedom. You don't have to get, let other people's, the way they treat you, affect your life. Because you just give them unconditional love. If you love somebody that hurts you, they can't control you. They can't make you feel bad. 
It's just a new thought. So let's just remember today, let's do something new and give it the offering. <laughs> of our time, our talent, and our treasure. <laughs> Everybody's like, wait, I have been. Yeah. <laughs> so let's just be thankful in our new life. And let's, let's be like Pastor says. Let's let, let the doubts stay out there and let the doubts stay out of your mind. Because they'll creep in, but they can't stay there. They don't win. So... Thank you for always being victorious in Christ with us and giving at the offering and helping us spread the word because the gospel of Jesus Christ and faith alone and Christ alone is the most important thing in life. So thank you very much. Today's Bible lesson, giving up your freedom for others is a godly sacrifice. Giving up your freedom for others is a godly sacrifice. Thank you for an excellent offering message, Deacon Denny. I, you know, I, I think when Christians give, they don't look at it the right way. The way they ought to look at it is they have a mug that's full of something to give. And then when the offering basket comes around, they pour that out into the basket. So they're giving. And what they're doing is making a godly sacrifice. And what they're doing with the giving is worshiping God. They're not worshiping Barah Ministries. They're worshiping God. And they're trusting that Barah Ministries is going to be a good steward 
of the financial blessings that are passed along, which we are. We have, we have never missed a rent payment. We don't make late rent payments. We pay all of our bills. We don't owe anybody anything. We have surplus, so that's just it. And it's just enough and no more, and that's fine, all right? But what happens after you pour out that, that container into the offering? God fills it back up, and then it's overflowing. And I, I don't think Christians even notice. They make a, a gift, and they don't notice the guy fills it right back up. Why don't they notice? Uh, it's because I think we're out of our mind as Christians, since we're so perverted by the world. I was talking to a Christian friend of mine uh, yesterday, and I asked him the question, you know, what are you doing for your spiritual life? Oh, well, you know what I do? I get up in the morning and I read the Bible and, you know, I read the Bible and I, you know, get a couple passages and read the Bible. I said, oh, so in other words, you're wasting your time, right? Because why is he wasting his time? It's solo. Does, does, it's not good for man to be alone compute? It's solo. Oh, I'll just listen on the Internet. Yeah, great. That's solo. Do you get it that we're not good solo? If you don't get it now, after we've been sent into our homes to be solo, when will you get it? This is a blessing that we all come together and worship together. It's so good to know that all of us here have the same God. And we're at different levels of understanding about the God. Some of us are mature and some of us are immature in our growth. But we're all on the journey to learn about God. And he's going to make us learn about him and he's not going to fail with any of us. But it's not good to do that alone. That's why he provides pastors. So you don't have to do it alone. That's why the verses are longer. If you look at the verses that I put up here and you go look at the verse in the New American Standard Version, which we use, you'll see an expanded version of it because I want you to understand what you're reading. I want you to know what you're hearing because a lot of those words would not make it obvious what you're, what you're hearing. I try to make it obvious what you're hearing. So my Christian friend needs to get his head out of his patoot and start gathering someplace, and especially with a pastor who knows what he's talking about so that he can grow spiritually because he's talking about the same crap that he was talking about 15 years ago. That's not grow in the sphere of grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And Christians are going to be shocked when they get in front of the Lord about how little they know about him. It's not the way you build a relationship. So welcome back. We're studying 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I'll give you the six verses we studied so far, remind you what we covered, and then we'll finish up with the last, I think it's seven verses or so, 7 to 13, I believe. All right, so today's Bible lesson, giving up your freedom for others, it's a godly sacrifice. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, which are images, Remember, now concerning in this letter is Paul saying that he is responding to questions that he's been asked by Chloe's people and others in the Corinthian church. Now concerning 
things sacrificed to idols. In other words, is it okay to eat idol food? And we learn that idols are images which are not, do not exist but are figments of the imagination of the people who make idols. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we Christians all have knowledge from the source of God, the Holy Spirit. That's why we come to Bible study. This is not knowledge from the source of Rory. This is knowledge from the source of God, the Holy Spirit, who uses Rory to talk. On the other hand, human knowledge feeds arrogance. PhDs don't run the world. They're puffed up. Oh, I'm doctor. I'm doctor. Okay, whatever. Because you wrote a long research paper. You're a doctor. I get it. So knowledge feeds arrogance because it puffs us up with an attitude of legalistic pride like we're all that when we're not. But unconditional love knowledge edifies others. When we realize that our knowledge is not to be used to whack people over the head, then we're loving others and edifying others. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2. Now, if anyone supposes that he knows anything, if you're a know-it-all, and of course some do act like know-it-alls, know-it-alls have not yet known what's necessary to know. 1 Corinthians 8, 3. But if anyone loves God unconditionally, and all believers in Christ do... This one is known by God. So what would you rather have? Would you rather have human knowledge or would you rather have spiritual knowledge? The knowledge of God who knows you back. That's what Paul is asking here. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. Now concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols like food, we know that idols don't exist in the world. They, there's no such thing as an idol. They don't exist. They are figments of people's imagination. They carve little talismans out of wood and metal and stone. And then they make them significant in their own minds, but they don't exist. And that there is no God that exists but the one true God, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's real knowledge. 1 Corinthians 8, 5. For even if, for the sake of argument, there are so-called gods, let's say that those things that people are making up are real gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many so-called gods and many so-called lords in the minds of idol worshipers. For us believers in Christ, there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things come, and we exist for his good pleasure. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom all things are created, and we exist through him. The Godhead is totally self-sufficient. And you hear people say, well, they, they made God because they needed someone to worship them. <laughs> yeah, right. They didn't need anything. They don't need one thing that we have. They're completely self-sufficient. Just like married couples that don't have kids. Amen? <laughs> we don't have kids because we want somebody to worship us. We have kids because we have lost our minds. <laughs> Amen? Oh, you're being negative about marriage and family. Yeah, that's me, Mr. Negative. But seriously, about having a marriage and having kids, those are hard. They're hard things. 
Let's not pretend like husbands and wives are all on the same page. They aren't. Let's not pretend like kids and parents are all on the same page. They aren't. That presents a big challenge that needs a spiritual solution, not a human solution. All right, let's pick it up where we left off. 1 Corinthians 8, 7. However, not all men have this knowledge about one God versus many idols, specifically the spiritually immature, and he's talking about the Corinthians who had just become believers in Christ. Some men, Paul fears, being accustomed to worshiping the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol that really exists. Why? Because pagans, idol worshipers who then became Christians, initially are still into pagan worship. They understand that they're believers in Christ now, but the bulk of their education has been worshiping idols. And now they're being told, you know all that stuff you were doing before now? Didn't count. (laughs) How do people feel when they find that out? How do you feel when you find out that your career has come to an end, that your business is now deemed non-significant and you have to grow into a new business? What will you do when you go into the new business? You'll take the old business right into it. And you'll try to make the old business, the new business, like the old business, instead of just tearing up the whole thing, starting all over, and creating this new business that you want to have. We always want to have our foot in the old thing and our foot in the new thing, because we don't want to adjust to change. Cut the old thing off, it's dead. Grow something new. Because our fear is, we knew that devil... But our fear is we don't know what we can do. You can do anything. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13, what don't you understand about that? Who do you want to become? You think that just because you made a decision at 25 years old that you're going to be a moron for the rest of your life, that you have to stick to the decision? You can change. Mary Kay developed the Mary Kay business when she was 60. Became a multimillionaire at 60. Before that, she was just goofy. Never too late to start all over. That's what God is saying here. So not all men have this knowledge about one guy versus many idols, specifically the spiritually immature. But some men, Paul fears, being accustomed to worshiping the old idols until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol that really exists. And their conscience, their sense of right and wrong, being weak, meaning immature, is defiled. You can obliterate immature people. If you're mature, you can obliterate immature people. Think about the parent who is ruining The kids, ruining the kids because the parent is a child in an adult body and refuses to grow up. And then the kids act like spoiled brats. We've all seen that game. We've all been to that movie. And that's most parents too, by the way, in my view. Most people are dead set against change. They see change as a process before a decision. Here's the way that sounds. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. 
yeah, you're getting better at being a jerk. What they're saying is, if I just keep plugging along like I am, even though I'm not getting results, and plugging along like I am, even though I'm not getting results, eventually a pigeon, the pigeon of success is going to take a dump on my head. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. You want to be successful? Decide. The process follows. Decide. Last October, I was 242 pounds, and I decided enough's enough. 60 days later, I was 205. I made the decision, and the process followed. You don't nibble away at it. Now I've reversed it because I wanted to go from 205 down to 195. And that's an easy path. If you can lose 37 pounds in 60 days, you can probably lose another, what is that, 10 in 20 days. But, I, well, I'm going to get to it. Well, I'm going to get to it. Well, yeah, I know this is getting a little tight, but I'm going to get to it. I'm, I'm going to get to it. I mean, October was a good month to do it. I'll wait until October. Oh, but you know the uh, you know I want to no seriously now, I know you're laughing at me kind of but you know I wanted to do it now but the Coeur d'Alene conference is coming up and John just got a Traeger grill and he's going to be cooking all this good food I mean I can't I can't just go to him and say John no I'm sorry I can't have the apple pie that you made in the Traeger I can't have that I I, I just have to really pay attention to my diet I, no I'm eating that apple pie Amen I'm not going to tell Mary oh Mary please. Stop bringing the little squares with the meat and the spice in there. Every week, you know, I'm drooling every time I know that they're here. Now, don't bring those anymore. I'm, I'm working on, I'm trying to get down to 195. Now, see, it's, if you do the process, if you don't make a decision, all that stuff's going to be calling you. It knows your name. It's calling you by name. So most people are dead set against change. They're weak in their souls. They're committed to doing nothing. The people Paul is referring to as not having this knowledge, and that's what he says in the verse, are those that don't know that idols don't exist. When you're immature you may, you, and you've been thinking that idols exist, and all of a sudden somebody tells you that they don't, you don't give up on that right away. So, when they first became Christians... Idol worshipers kept returning to the elemental things. That's what I showed you last week in the Galatians verse, verses. The slavery that they were committed to before becoming believers. The mature believers see idol food as just food. Since there are no idols, it's just food. Because there are no idols that exist. But the immature see idol food really as something of significance that has been dedicated to an idol that is very real in their minds. Okay, so that puts together a dilemma for us mature Christians. Now, isn't it the same today? Don't people operate in an alternate reality? The reality that if they think it, it must be true. You get together with a person and you start having a discussion, and then they start giving you this one-sided view of life. Here's how I see life, blah, 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 blah. And I had a friend doing this, you know, a few weeks ago. Here's my view of life, blah, 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 blah. Then when all of a sudden, when I turn around and start saying, well, here's my view of life and my view of what you're saying, oh, the conversation's over. Click, off, yeah, no thanks. 
No, my reality is the whole reality. There aren't two people in this relationship. Okay. Childish adult. Okay. Child in an adult body. Okay. All right. But don't think I didn't see it. So the mature has got to deal with the immature. And it, it feels so horrible because there's this thing inside of all of us that has this sense of justice. And when we're dealing with one-sided people, we just feel like, this is not fair. You're right. It isn't. All right, so what does that mean exactly? 1 Corinthians 8.8. 8. Food will not commend us to God. We're not the worse off in God's eyes if we don't eat, nor are we better off in God's eyes if we do. Yet when food, which is good, is perverted into an idol sacrifice, it becomes unclean. Similarly, sex between married couples can be perverted by fornication, premarital sex, sex for hire, prostitution, or pornography, do-it-yourself sex, to name a few of the distortions. God creates these cool things, like sex, and Satan finds a way to distort it and to sell it to us. The big deal for mature Christians, then, is the effect that their participation in perversion has on the souls of immature believers. Because when we do something that is perverted in front of the immature, they think it's okay to do. 1 Corinthians 8, 9. But you mature believers need to take care that this liberty of yours, the fact that you know that food sacrificed to idols is just food, You need to be sure that that liberty of yours doesn't somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Because if they see you eating it, they may not understand, like you do, that it's just food. Because they see it a different way. What damage does the mature believer do when he engages in practices that do not edify immature believers? Mature believers can actually do harm instead of good. In the matter of sex, the perversion is unmistakable. Sex outside of marriage is out of bounds. But in the matter of food, there's nothing wrong with eating food, so a distinction has to be made in the matter of idle food. The mature believer may say, can I eat as I please? Yeah, you can. But you don't want to be hurting people in the process. See, there's this thing on Netflix or one of the Hulu, or I forget what it's on, about this guy Jeffrey Epstein who used to seduce 14-year-old poor girls to give him a massage for $200. And what he ended up doing is ruining these young women. And it's, it, the, the thing that's really cool about the documentary is you get to see the women as adults talking about how the experience absolutely ruined them. Here's a grown man who is committing a crime, which is having sex with a minor committing a crime. Why is it a crime to have sex with a minor? It's a crime because minors cannot process things the same way adults do. It's a crime. And he he ruined thousands of women. And he had powerful friends, billionaires, who were doing the same thing. Some of them former presidents of the United States, by the way. And getting away with it in their minds, but ruined the lives of these women. One in three women in the United States of America under the 
of 18 have been molested. And that damages them. Most of them for life. They can't get over it. They can't just erase it. First Corinthians 8.10. If someone sees you who have knowledge, you spiritually mature ones, dining in an idol's temple, will not this one, and this is the immature believer, wouldn't, won't this won't his conscience, if he is weak, spiritually immature, be educated by the mature to believe it's permissible to eat things sacrificed to idols? Yes. You don't give your children condoms. You tell them not to have premarital sex. You tell them how it destroys them. You tell them how fantastic premarital sex feels. And how, if they do it in an unprotected manner, can cost them 21 years of their life and $250,000 with a person that they can't stand that they spent three minutes with. You tell them the truth. You don't tell them, oh, have premarital sex, just protect yourself. They're not emotionally secure enough to understand something as magnificent as sex. It's not just some physical experience. You don't put your daughter on the pill, except for hormone reasons, and tell her it's okay to have premarital sex. She's going to get used, and you're going to tell her it's okay. It's not. It ruins them. That's what Paul is saying here, by way of analogy. So... Is it permissible to eat things sacrificed to idols? The answer is yes. But the immature believer, if he can't yet discern between what's right and wrong, he may look for a mature role model to emulate. Is your conduct teaching the right things? That's what Paul is asking in this whole passage. Is your conduct teaching the right thing? 1 Corinthians 8.11 For through the spiritually mature's knowledge, the weaker brother for whose sake Christ also died is led to ruin by your knowledge. Mature people have a responsibility. Is the unbalanced scale of the mature person's responsibility fair? No, it isn't. But it also wasn't fair for Christ to go to a cross and to die for you. It also wasn't fair for Christ to suppress his deity and humiliate himself by taking on human form so that he could pay for your sins. That was not fair either. The point of this passage is your knowledge can hurt other people and tear them down. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is immature, you sin against Christ. And the Lord makes it clear in the Matthew passage in chapter 25 that concludes with this thought in verse 40. Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did anything to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Matthew chapter 18, the Lord says, one of you who hurts a child, it'd be better for you if a millstone was hung around your neck than you'd be dropped in the deepest part of the sea. I don't know whether you know what a millstone looks like, but it's this big 
5,000-pound stone. It'd be better for you if this 5,000-pound stone was hung around your neck and you were thrown in the middle of the sea, never to be heard from again. That's how seriously God takes it when we destroy children or when we mistreat the immature. Here's Paul's conclusion. 1 Corinthians 8:11. Therefore, if food causes my brother, a fellow believer in Christ, to stumble, I, Paul, will never eat a meal again, never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Amen? Don't hurt other people. There's nothing that makes me matter faster than somebody who is hurting children, animals, or the handicapped. We have a responsibility to them. And I don't take it lightly when they're not treated well. We'll continue our study of this passage with chapter 9, beginning next week. The closing moments of our lesson are always the same. It's the gospel message. And it's a reminder that God wants you to make the most important decision of your life. So the closing messages, message of this study is the most important message of the study. We want you to know that God wants you. First and foremost, the message is for the benefit of believers in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this, Believers, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Set him apart as the sovereign of your heart. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope, the absolute confidence of your faith in Christ that is in you. Yet give the account with gentleness and respect. Second, this message is for unbelievers so you can be saved. And whether you know it or not, you were born a sinner. And that's bad news for you because sinners need a savior. But the good news is that this gospel message offers you a chance to make the most important decision of your life. Acts chapter 16 verse 31 says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believe. Now, what God wants you to know is that 13 words tell the story of how to be saved. The first word is God. There is one and only one God, as it says in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 5, I am the Lord and there is no other God. Besides me, there is no other God. The one and only God reveals himself in ways that make sense to human beings. He's the one who wants to save you. The next word is mankind, a name for all of God's human creatures. John chapter 1 verse 3 says, All things came into being through the Lord God the Son, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. God is the creator, and he created you. The next word is sin. All of us were born in a state of sin. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says this, All creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, there is no creature who is righteous, not even one. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22 says, all in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human being who comes to earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. Isn't that amazing that when we look at those cuddly little babies and we think they are so cute and cuddly and swaddly and all that, they're sitting there right in your arms, set to de- die the second death in the lake of fire. As a result of being born in a state of sin, all of us 
need a savior. Now, it is not your fault that you were born in a state of sin, but it is your circumstance. And unfortunately, sin separates us from God. The next word is Jesus, the name above all names, the magnificent name, the God-man, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, and the Savior of the whole world. John chapter 3, verse 17 says this, God the Father did not send God the Son into the world as the Lord to become Jesus Christ, to judge the world, but the Father sent the Son into the world that the world might be saved through him. Jesus Christ is God, and he wants to save you. The next word is cross. The Lord Jesus Christ chose to become a sin substitute for you by shedding his blood on a cross so you wouldn't have to die for the sins that separate you from God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 says this, Being found in appearance as a man, the Lord Jesus Christ humiliated himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. John chapter 3, verse 16, God the Father loved the world unconditionally, And he loved the world so much that he gave his uniquely born son, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be crucified on a cross so that whosoever believes in him shall never perish but have eternal life. Jesus Christ had you in mind personally, by name, as he hung from a cross to pay for the sins of the whole world. The next word is resurrection. Three days after Jesus' crucifixion, he proved himself to be deity just as he said, by being raised from the dead. In Luke chapter 24, verses 5 and 6, an angel asks a question of two women who have come to anoint Jesus' body on the third day after his crucifixion. The angel said, Why do you seek the living one from among the dead ones? Jesus is not here. He has risen from the dead, just as he predicted. Being resurrected from the dead separates Jesus Christ from all those who pretend to be God because he is the only one who has ever been resurrected from the dead. The next word is salvation. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 credits Jesus Christ with the salvation of the whole human race and there is salvation in no one else and there's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved except the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is only available through a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's just one way And accepting his work on your behalf at the cross saves you from an eternity in the lake of fire. The next word is grace. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith in Christ for salvation. And that grace and that faith and that salvation are not from the source of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Therefore being saved is not a result of works. Not a result of deeds you've done in self-righteousness. So that no one may boast about saving himself. A God who is full of grace provides your salvation free of charge. The next word is faith. Matthew chapter 17 verse 20 says this, If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds, and of course you do, as a gift from God, you will say to this mountain, any obstacle, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. God gives you the gift of faith to spend on your own salvation. The next word is repentance. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation as some accuse him of. Instead, he's patient towards you unbelievers, not wishing for any of you to perish in the lake of fire, but for all of you to come to repentance. When you repent, 
you have a change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel message invites you to change your mind. The next word is righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, God the Father made Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be a sin substitute on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God the Father in union with Christ Jesus. Righteousness is imputed to you Credited to your account at the moment of salvation, and that is your admission ticket to heaven. And you cannot lose it. When you believe in Jesus Christ, absolute righteousness is yours from a merciful God. The next word is truth. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32 says this. Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Okay, so 13 words tell the story of how you can be saved. There is a God. He is the creator of all mankind. And sin separated mankind from having a relationship with him. So Jesus, Christ, saved the day by dying on a cross to pay for the sins of all mankind. His resurrection from the dead three days later proved that he is God. As a result, you are offered a so great salvation, provided free of charge by means of God's grace, a salvation you cannot work for. And by spending your gift of faith, you can be saved. When you repent, you change your mind about having a relationship with Christ and God the Father credits his absolute righteousness to your account, a righteousness that is your admission ticket to heaven. When you know this truth, it will set you free from slavery to sin and from bondage to the law. The power of the 13 words can be summed up in just one word. Believe. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. When you believe, you simply take God's word for it concerning what it takes to be saved. So heed the warning in John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. So use these 13 words that all boil down to one word, believe, to get on the Lord's team. Just take God's word for it concerning what it takes to be saved, and you will be saved. Do it right now. All right, let's close with music. If Psalm 46, verses 9 and 10 don't give you hope, nothing will. They say this, I am the Lord your God and there is no other God. I am God and there is no one like me. I am the one declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times predicting things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. So now, no matter what you see out in the world, and you're about to go back out there, just remember that the Lord is in control of the universe and he will have things his way. June Murphy says it this way, you do everything you want, Lord, all because you wanted to. Let's listen.
Sound good, girl. <laughs> Proud of you. Boy, a long journey back, wasn't it? Uh-huh. All that falling down and stuff. Down goes Fraser. It was horrible. <laughs> we we're all so worried about you. We're glad to see you back. And that's God delivering it like he always does. And God responding to prayer like he always does. So we sing our praise to God. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Jesus and he will make your path straight. For the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He'll be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. So do not fear or be dismayed. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice and blessed are those who wait for him. So humble yourselves, therefore, in the mighty hand of God, that he might promote you at the proper time, slamming all your cares on his back, because he cares for you. God considers your problems to be his responsibility. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for relaxing us. Thank you for letting us slam all of our burdens on your back. Thanks for taking our baggage and throwing it into the sea. And thanks for opening our spiritual eyes to know that anything we want, any of the desires of our heart that believing we will receive through the power, the amazing power of prayer to bring supernatural healing and supernatural power into human circumstances. And we just pray that we don't take this gift lightly. We pray that we don't get that whiny, sighing voice as if the world and its goals are going to somehow overpower us. Keep on reminding us that we have the victory through your Son, and that we have the Holy Spirit to guide our path and to conform us to the image of your Son. The Holy Spirit who is producing his fruit in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We ask all these things through the power of that amazing God, the Holy Spirit, our mentor and teacher in Christ's name. Amen. Say it with me. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.